Hello. Greetings. Thanks for your interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. So we begin our conversation today. I'd like to start with a poll question. Yes, I know this is going to require work here when you're uh, trying to listen to a message here. Uh, ideally, I'd love to have you write down your answers to this, uh, mostly so that uh, we're all assured and confirmed that uh, what you put down before we have an explanation. Uh, but if not, please uh, remember what you had said and be honest about it. Please consider the following pairs of qualities that you would desire children in modern society to have. So we're going to talk about two different characteristics. Choose which you think are more important for healthy functioning in life. So, do you believe that it is more important for children in our modern society, whether they're yours or other people's kids, because after all, we have to deal with other people's kids as they grow up in our society, right? Would you rather them uh, have the quality more of independence or respect for elders? That's the first pair. Independence or respect for elders? Once we have that answer, the second pair is obedient or self-reliant. So would you rather them have be obedient or self-reliant? And then our third pair, final pair, is would you rather them be considerate or well-behaved? And please don't overthink the answers here. Just go with your gut impulse. Independence or respect for elders? Obedience or self-reliance? Considerate or well-behaved? Now, what do you think about these comparisons and contrasts? Was it an easy decision? Was it a hard decision? Was it an impossible decision? Because there, for some people, respect for elders, obedience, and being well-behaved are more important to them. Uh, they think children should understand their place in society, and conforming to social norms is important for them. For other people, though, it's independent self-reliance and being considerate are more important. They think that the child's self-sufficiency and independence are of the greater importance, and social norms not as important. Not to suggest that they would say that social norms aren't important at all, but just not as important as the child's self-sufficiency and independence. And for a lot of other people, the choices seem unfair. They see value in independence, respect for elders, obedience, self-reliance, being considerate, and being well-behaved. Envisioning that all of these attitudes need to be held in, in, in balance to uphold social norms of value, but to go their own way when necessary. And hope that we can see where the challenges are coming, where you know we can think of some circumstances where we might want more compliance and some situations where we might want more independent thinking. Whether or not you've known it, you have just answered the same question that's been given uh, since 1992 in the National Election Survey. And, whether you want to believe it or not, but whatever your answers to these questions were is the most compelling predictor for support of political parties and politicians than any other consideration. Any more than, more than income, more than ethnicity, more than geography, more than anything else. It's the answer to these questions that demonstrates the wide gulf that we have in society. So how is that possible? How is it that a question about characteristics in children explain political preferences? And what would that have to do, if anything, to the life that we should have in the faith? Well, the contrasting elements of the question, 
regarding qualities in children suggest what is either called authoritarian or non-authoritarian personalities. According to Hetherington and Weiler in their book Authoritarianism and Polarization in American Politics, which is where we're going to get our information from today, uh, those who would favor respect for elders, obedience, and being well-behaved are reckoned as being more authoritarian in their personality. Those who would favor independence, self-reliance, and being considerate are reckoned as more non-authoritarian in their personality. Now, to be honest, these terms are very challenging. Sometimes that binary is less than helpful. But the core concepts are very much present, and they have bearing on life in, in politics, but also life and faith. The authoritarian personality type has been the focus ever since uh, Karen Stenner's analysis in 2003 put it on the political map. Uh, Non-authoritarians and their importance uh, in terms of their behavior patterns is addressed more in the work by Hetherington and Weiler in 2009, but then really just in terms of their contrast with uh, authoritarians. The study of authoritarianism had begun in the days after World War II when there were people were trying to understand how so many people were prompted to follow the authoritarian, fascist, and communist regimes of the day, which is why the term authoritarian kind of went along with it. It didn't really prove very predictive of much of anything in American culture at the time, because American culture was aligned uh, by a different pattern. Uh, but since the 60s and 70s, uh, it has now uh, become a much more prevalent pattern here, that the authoritarian-non-authoritarian divide can really explain what's going on in our culture. No one is happy, by the way, with this term authoritarian. It has a lot of negative connotations, and, and, and we certainly admit that. Unfortunately, no other term or pair of terms have been found that prove any better. Maybe somebody will come up with some, and we can use those terms instead. So what do we mean when we talk about these things? Well, the working definition of authoritarian is a tendency to submit to authority with a strong emphasis on social conformity. So those we would call authoritarians, and again, we want to say we do this without prejudice, just in terms of description, they tend to see things more in black and white. They value simplicity and find complexity and gray as uncomfortable or intolerable. They value social cohesion and sameness. They're easily primed toward intolerance and or hostility toward those who are considered the other. They prize uniformity and want to suppress differences. This is why they value respect for elders, obedience, and being well-behaved as characteristics for children. These qualities privilege social conformity. And so to this end, they are very open to politicians who would uphold and maintain cultural mores, exalt what is held in common, and be willing to punish difference. They're open to, to strongmen, and they can take or leave the, the small de-democratic norms, not talking about the political party, but just the norms of, of the democracy, especially if the situation is seen as dangerous enough that it would overthrow the status quo. Now, the working definition of a non-authoritarian is a tendency to value personal autonomy, an aversion to prejudicial thinking with a strong emphasis on fairness for the social outgroups. So non-authoritarians are much more comfortable with the gray. They recognize the complexities of life and prove skeptical about simplicity and black and white thinking. Non-authoritarians put a lot of emphasis on thinking. They do a lot of it, and they try to get information from different sources, and they're willing to pursue the best idea or the accurate information, even if it proves detrimental to the social cohesion or the status quo. They prize fairness and diversity and abhor ethnocentric and prejudicial thinking. And this is why they value independence, self-reliance, and being considerate for children. These qualities all privilege personal liberty and strength and fair treatment for all. 
And so they're open to politicians who emphasize a common good, fairness and inclusion of outgroups. They recognize the complexity of the world. They seek diplomacy over war and will pursue what is good, right, and true, even if it is not in alignment with their partisan leanings. And they often very much value those small d democratic norms. Now the thing about authoritarians and non-authoritarians is there are very few people who are strictly authoritarian or strictly non-authoritarian. Uh, it's more of a spectrum. There are some people who are extremely non-authoritarian and extremely authoritarian, but most are somewhere in between. And there's a good number of people who are almost right in the middle. Uh, and that's why with the kind of binaries that we were talking about, they're not really binaries um, uh, when it comes to qualities that we might want in children. Now, before we carry on, uh, some other things are important for us to consider uh, in terms of, of, of authoritarians and non-authoritarians. That Hetherington and Weiler had explained modern political and cultural polarization in terms of the divergence between non-authoritarians from authoritarians. The authoritarians tend to be pretty consistent with their views. Uh, but issues become polarized when the non-authoritarians consider a group to no longer be a threat. Uh, for recent examples in the political cultural realm, we see civil rights, gay rights, post-9-11 wars, and legislation. Uh, there's some disagreement in the sociological circles about authoritarianism and threat activation. That Stenner is convinced that authoritarianism is often latent until activated by a threat to social cohesion. So like 9-11 uh, with the uh, attack by um, Islamic fundamentalist terrorists. Uh, Hetherington and Weiler see authoritarians as more consistent in their preferences that the real movement's not really with the authoritarians much as the non-authoritarians that when non-authoritarians feel sufficiently threatened that they, in their views, become essentially identical to that of the authoritarians now there's likely some level of truth to the idea of a threat activation for authoritarians that they may not consider a given group to be a threat unless they're prompted to on account of events or the fear-mongering of politicians or others the evidence is the strongest for this view of Hetherington and Weiler, that um, it's really when the non-authoritarians become more like authoritarians that you see a lot of convergence, and the divergence comes when the non-authoritarians differ from the authoritarians. It's very important to keep in mind that a pos person's position on this authoritarian spectrum is not fixed, that if a threat is sufficient, the non-authoritarian will become just as authoritarian as the authoritarian always was. Now, as could be expected, in the partisan sorting of the past 50 or so years, those who tend toward authoritarianism have drifted toward the Republican Party, which has in turn begun to reflect a more authoritarian posture. Those who tend toward non-authoritarianism have drifted to the Democratic Party, which also generally maintains a non-authoritarian posture, unless it feels threatened. And we say this not because of any necessarily spiritual value, but to uh, see why it seems that there are two different nations, two different groups of people with very different ideas, and who struggle to find common ground. And goes a long way to explain the divergences in, in, in modern politics and culture. Uh, so is this just about politics? Or can we see something about this in terms of the faith? Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that while we a lot of times want to sort this out, well, this is politics, we don't talk about it here, this is church, uh, spiritual things, we, we talk about that here. Um, in the Bible, uh, the politics, the, that which makes for the good of the polis, the city, uh, very much has spiritual dimension to it. And uh, there's a lot in the scriptures about what the state was doing and the 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 kind of the politics of the age. Uh, it's not as, as easily there on the surface, but it's very hard to miss it when you are uh, 
able to understand the world in which the prophets, the world in which Jesus lived in, and, and the things that were being said and done. There's very much political undertones to all of it. Uh, and this contrast between authoritarianism and non-authoritarianism is not just about politics. In fact, we can take uh, what has been done in the political realm, and that's why we focus so much so far on politics, because that's where a lot of this work has been done in terms of understanding authoritarian versus non-authoritarian mindsets. But we can take what we've seen in politics and then take a look at what's going on in the spiritual realm and see that just like we have authoritarians and non-authoritarians in our political culture, that we have authoritarianism and non-authoritarianism in our spiritual culture. And authoritarianism actually goes a long way to describe many of the tendencies of many of the people of God, both past and present. That authoritarianism is highly correlated to a view of biblical inerrancy. Uh, that means that if you believe the Bible is inerrant, you're more likely to be authoritarian, or perhaps you are more likely to believe the Bible is inerrant because you have an authoritarian leaning. Uh, white evangelicals uh, are significantly more authoritarian than any other religious group. Um, we don't really need statistical evidence to see this, though, but we can see it in a lo lot of the way that things get framed and discussed in the church. This doesn't necessarily have to do with any individual scripture, per se, but it very much relates to how everything gets put together, packaged, and talked about. Though uh, Authoritarians emphasize submission to authority. And so, there's kind of a gravitation toward those passages that emphasize submitting to Jesus, to seek authority for all behaviors, to center matters of authority in argumentation and discussion, to the point where the primary answer to questions is going to involve, well, God commanded it, that that is sufficient. Well, this is the rule, God says the rule, therefore I'm going to follow it. That goes along with that kind of conformity uh, in, in, in following the authority in that authoritarian posture. Uh, we see this in passages like Ephesians 5, Colossians 3.17. And again, it's not that these things don't exist. It's just the emphasis being put on it, as we're going to continue to see. As those who emphasize obedience, authoritarian personalities are going to emphasize the need to obey God in Christ, like in Romans 1.5, to follow the rules God has established in Christ, to center obedience in faith, argumentation, and discussion, Romans 6.14-23. In its most extreme form, it becomes legalism and works-based salvation. But even in milder forms, it kind of centers a Christian and what he or she is doing relative to obedience over almost everything else. That the preferred posture is obedience. We talk about in terms of being obedient. It's all about obedience. As those who emphasize social cohesion, sameness, and adherence to social norms, the authoritarian personalities might compromise with culture in ways related to social cohesion and norms, but are likely going to insist uh, on particular ways of doing things in the assembly, and will express great discomfort with any kind of change with how anything is being done in the assembly. Uh, it's very easy for uh, to make much of 1 Corinthians 14.40, that all things are to be done decently and in order. And that decently and in order uh, is extended to involve a certain level of attire, a certain order of assembly. Uh, it, it's going to try to create a, a very strong level of homogeneity, uh, which is the preferred posture there in, in, in the authoritarian personality. Likewise, as those who emphasize black and white thinking and who value simplicity, the authoritarian personalities appreciate and will insist upon fundamental and quote-unquote simple preaching. They look skeptically on anything that would provide nuance, shades of gray, or which, in their minds, might lead to unnecessary complications and difficulties. As those who are willing to punish difference and support a strongman, authoritarian personalities have often centered disputes and arguments with those in the world and in denominations. 
Uh, some of them have served as brotherhood watchmen, willing at the drop of the hat to write up anybody who was understood to preach something outside of what was deemed the consensus view in the church. And for years, churches of Christ cultivating what was called the fighting style, with many pugnacious and acerbic preachers who would call out air, gain, gain great reputations in the process, and uh, would carry on that behavior uh, without real regard to the fallout and damage that that, that kind of posture uh, might be creating. We can see the influence of authoritarianism and the emphasis on obedience and the relative neglect of grace. The inability of many to process what Paul is trying to do in Romans 14, where he's trying to say that, okay, to the one who understands that meats are clean, it's clean to him. But to the person who feels that meats are unclean, it's unclean to him. And it, which one is it? Well, it, the idea that it's both and that we're supposed to just be concerned about each other's consciences can be difficult if your posture is primarily black and white simplistic thinking uh, and that there has to be the answer. There's a tendency toward ecumenical sectarianism in this, uh, to strong, you know, to put a lot of emphasis on condemning others. And there's a struggle to work effectively with those who have broken the rules. Uh, what do you do when somebody has done wrong? Uh, and how do you treat that person? Um, it's, it's very easy for them to get cut off in this kind of mentality. And again, there's we, we say all this in terms of tendencies. All of this is in terms of tendencies. Uh, you could have somebody who has a very authoritarian posture but is very humble and gracious and kind. You can have a pharisaical non-authoritarian. But we're just looking at the statistical overview and to realize that and see that, well, yeah, there's been a lot of influence of what we can see as authoritarianism in the church. And uh, that for a lot of people, the authoritarian posture is just the way it should be. And as if there's no questioning or challenging that, no other dimension to the story. But there can also be non-authoritarians in the church, and their tendencies also influence congregational attitudes, environments, and cultures. Now, as those who value personal autonomy, non-authoritarian personalities rank personal conscience very highly. And they bristle whenever the individual is being suppressed on account of the whole, for better or for worse like in Romans 14. Those who value cognition and prove very wary of prejudicial thinking, non-authoritarian personalities think about everything. They might try to be as circumspect as they can, but they can easily think themselves out of faith or think themselves into missing the forest from the trees or just think to the exclusion of doing much else. Uh, there's that warning in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Uh, James 2.14-26 said, Faith without works is dead. It's not enough to say, Go be warmed and filmed. filled. We actually have to do things. And 1 John 3.17-18 and 18, that our love is in, in truth and deed, not just in word and pretense. Now, as those who can appreciate gray matters and complexity, the non-authoritarian personalities are more comfortable with nuances, unanswered questions, textual, textual difficulties, excuse me, and challenges. They dig into them with zest and zeal. But they may struggle with communicating the gospel. They might handicap their efforts because they're resisting simplicity in their communication. And it can cause consternation for those who are not edified by exploring all kinds of difficulties. We've got to remember, in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-2.15, Paul was very critical of the wisdom of the world and uh, desired just to be preaching Christ crucified and to know Christ crucified and to rely on, on the wisdom received from God uh, in, in, in the spiritual realm. Now, as those who prize fairness and the other, non-authoritarian personalities fret over the treatment of others and wish to find ways to lift them up. This can be done consistently with the gospel mandate of Matthew 25, 31-46, but many may at times lead to an attempt to get away from applying church discipline or be willing to fully condemn sin. Uh, unlike Romans 1 uh, or 1 Corinthians 5. 
Now, as those who value autonomy, independence, and the value of the individual, non-authoritarian personalities are very much on the lookout for tyranny or oppression, but they may easily fall into relativism. They may fall into a lack of appreciation for the collective and the command to interdependent joint participation as fellow members of the body of Christ in God, as we see in John 17, 20-23, 1 Corinthians 12, 12-28, uh, that sometimes the concern about the individual very much comes at the detriment of the collective, which is not good either. The emphasis on the individual in the church might well stem from non-authoritarian tendencies. The influence of non-authoritarianism can also be seen in the attempts to mitigate some of the excesses of authoritarianism, but on their own can be challenges themselves, for better or for worse. You're challenging traditions that may not always be profitable, uh, but also may be challenging uh, misunderstandings in doctrine and faith, but on the other hand, uh, when does the challenging stop? And a lot of times, even when you challenge the things that might need to be challenged, it's easy to keep going and to cross that line and to start challenging established doctrines or practices, challenging the standing of Scripture, challenging the truth of the faith, and things of that nature. And so, we've got authoritarian and non-authoritarian personalities, tendencies, emphases, and postures at work even among the Lord's people. So what are we supposed to say about these things? And I want to be honest, you know, th this is a very imperfect categorization. There's a lot that's challenging about the discussion of authoritarianism and non-authoritarianism. We'll recognize completely that the Bible does not explicitly talk about this kind of ideology or posture, that this framework comes out of the realm of sociology as a means of understanding mentalities and divisions among groups of people. And yes, even though no better term has been found, authoritarianism is highly prejudicial. Who wants to be known as an authoritarian? Who wants to own that? And it doesn't help that for those who investigate and write about authoritarianism, authoritarians tend to be the other. Because most of those who are going to study the subject are going to be more on the non-authoritarian side of the spectrum because they're interested in the thinking and the complexity and all that stuff. And it's not hard to go from an attempt to just explain differences to really be using it as a reason to marginalize or suppress those who are the other. To, to make light of authoritarians. And a lot of people of the authoritarian mindset certainly feel that contempt and disdain from, um, from the culture. And there's a lot of questions that all of this begs. Uh, we can see authoritarian or non-authoritarianism uh, in people's personalities, but where they come from? Uh, birth, family culture, culture in general, experiences? Uh, how fluid are the categories? Uh, do we change in, in the levels of authoritarianism, non-authoritarianism? On what basis? And by what influences? We think of a lot of other questions that are not answered. And uh, likewise, if we, we take this as a binary, you're either one or the other, you're either this or that, uh, we're going to be misdirected because very few people, if any, are purely authoritarian or purely non-authoritarian. Most of us are going to have some authoritarian and non-authoritarian tendencies. Uh, some might have relatively more of one than the other, than, the, than somebody else, but we're very unlikely to be pure one or pure the other. So if we've got all these problems, why are we talking about it? Well, because the explanatory power, not just in the political, social, cultural realm, but even more in the spiritual realm, means it's profitable for us to consider. And here's the important thing. We must not pathologize either authoritarianism or non-authoritarianism. We are exploring the differences of it, and we recognize, hey, in our modern Western world, non-authoritarians are very prominently placed in social and cultural authorities, and authoritarianism has been doing a lot better in political realm 
um, as of late, but they, they feel like their hold on power is more tenuous compared to previous days. And so it's in the worldly nature of non-authoritarians to hold authoritarians in contempt. It is in the worldly nature of authoritarians to condemn and suppress those who are non-authoritarian. And right now, authoritarians tend to feel maligned and held in contempt by society. They feel more at home in their churches and easily value and appreciate diatribes, not just against non-authoritarian excesses, but against non-authoritarian postures in general, and can easily see themselves into thinking that the way they look at things is just the only way to look at things. Non-authoritarians these days tend to feel more at home in society, where they can feel find groups who share similar frameworks of thought generally. But they often feel that church is more hostile ground, and have felt pushed or driven out by the authoritarian posture maintained among many in churches. Now, we are to expect this kind of behavior in the world, in which difference is often and easily weaponized. We see it working all the time. But, as Jesus says in Matthew 20, 25-28, and we can see in Ephesians chapter 2, it must not be so among the Lord's people. The main challenge that we have is that the differences between authoritarians and non-authoritarians are being pathologized by each other. We need to recognize that we need both authoritarians and non-authoritarians in the body of Christ. Authoritarianism, after all, is not without its strengths, which will be necessary for the church to endure. And it's really hard to write off 40 to 50% or more of the population, which is what you end up getting when you look at the authoritarian half of the wing. God has called upon everyone to submit to the Lordship of Jesus and to live under authority. That is absolutely part of the gospel message in Matthew 8, 28, 18-20, in Romans 13, Hebrews 13, 17. It needs to be proclaimed. God has called us to obedience and faith in Romans 1, 5, 6, 14-23, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9. We need to encourage and exhort people to, to do so. There are absolutely false teachers out there. In 1 Timothy 6, 2 Peter 2, Jude, most of Jude's letter, and false gospels cannot save. We can see that in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. And so warnings about error and exhortation to maintain our shared faith are needed to preach in, in season out of season, to rebuke, report, exhort uh, with all patience in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, uh, and to hold firm to the contend for the faith delivered once for all the saints in Jude 1, 3. Jesus found ways to communicate the truth of the kingdom of God in simple ways. Think of the parables in Matthew 13 about sower sowing, about fishermen catching fish, a merchant finding a pearl, uh, somebody digging up a treasure. Simplicity in communication is absolutely a virtue. That God's purpose in Christ is to reconcile everybody into one man in Jesus, in John 17, Ephesians 2 and 3. Uh, Paul very much centers that as a core of what God is doing in Jesus. And so the vision of life and faith is collective, it's not individualist. Joint participation in the kingdom is essential. That means there needs to be concern about uh, group cohesion. It, there needs to be concern about us all being on the same page to some degree or another. And those who are more authoritarian in temperament are going to gravitate to these truths naturally and emphasize them. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Uh, if it only becomes a bad thing when we do not keep in mind that the strengths of non-authoritarianism are just as necessary for life and faith. That yes, we are to obey the gospel, and yes, submitting to authority is important, but none of us earn salvation. We're not saved by the work, by the working that we do because it's only through the grace and mercy God has displayed for us in Christ that we can have standing before God. Based just upon our works, we're going to be condemned as sinners, according to Romans 3, 20-27. That our obedience and our submission is imperfect. 
and that Christians are to prioritize one another, in Romans 12, 10, and Galatians 6, 10, that God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. That we need to be neighbors to everyone with whom we come into contact in Luke 10 and 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. We can see so many ways in the Gospels how Jesus privileges the other and the marginalized. And a faith that does not seek the good of the other is not pleasing before God in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. To uphold the truth is one thing. To equate the traditions of men with the truth and insisting on both is a danger Jesus warned about in Matthew 15. That needs to be preached too. Not everything is simple. Complexity and nuance can help us, both in navigating the challenges of life in the faith and in communicating and relating with those who are in and also outside of the body of Christ, that our speech may be seasoned as with salt in Colossians 4 and verse 9. We do well to understand where we are on the authoritarian, non-authoritarian spectrum. And that's when we go back to our quiz results, you know, when we took that poll at the beginning with our two uh, binaries. Uh, are our answers about social cohesion and, and establishing group norms, you know, obedience and uh, respect for elders and things of that nature? Or are our answers more aligned with uh, independence, self-reliance, and uh, being conscientious? And I realize, well, or maybe... I really would like for them to be both. somewhere more in the middle. Uh, and the reason why it's good for us to know that is so that we can see where our blind spots are. Because our problem right now in our society is authoritarians have their authoritarian posture and they just cannot understand why non-authoritarians among them just don't see the challenges that they see. Meanwhile, the non-authoritarians have a completely different posture and can't understand why the authoritarians can't see the challenges that they see. Uh, they all ha And they all fear their fears. You know, the non-authoritarians uh, are fearing the strength uh, of, the, of some of the things that the authoritarians think are great, and the authoritarians are certainly afraid of some of the things the non-authoritarians think are great. Each fears their fears, even if it's not always just about advocating for what they advocate. And so we need to recognize that there's a whole range of things going on here and that wherever we are in the spectrum means that we aren't objective and that we're going to see things the way we do, but somebody else may not see it the same way and that we have our blind spots and that the best that we can do is to be willing to accept the critique of the other as we critique the other so that we don't get into imbalances in our faith uh, as individuals and as the people of God as a church. And so to this end, we've got some awkward questions and challenging questions that each has for the other to consider. We're going to start with the questions that non-authoritarians would have for authoritarians to consider. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ whom you're serving, or is it the, a vestige of civic religion? What's your end goal here? Is it to make the country a better place, or is it that people may come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved in Jesus? Where is there space and mercy? Sorry, where is there space for grace and mercy in your emphasis on obedience? Is there any room in the congregation for people who do not look like you, who do not share your experiences, and do not have any desire to be conformed to your particular culture? When does decently and in order in 1 Corinthians 14:40 stop being about scripture and start being about personal or shared cultural norms and customs? Can you perceive that insistence on certain shared cultural norms can easily alienate those who do not share them to the detriment of being able to share life and faith? Is there not more to maintaining faith in Christ than emphasizing how wrong everybody else is? Are there not plenty of matters in faith and practice that resist overly simplistic answers in which more harm than is done than good uh, when nuance and complexity are denied or degraded? Can the temperament and posture of the strong man really glorify God? 
was the fighting style really healthy or productive for the people of God? Can championing any strong men reflect well on our faith in Jesus? Are you willing to see the limitations and challenges in the posture that comes to you naturally and how you can overemphasize order, obedience, simplicity, uniformity, conformity, and cohesion? Will you interrogate your impulse toward threat activation? Should you really be fearing everything that you fear? Can you handle the complexity and discomfort to glorify God? Can you see how fear can blind you to lead you to overemphasize things that are actually of lesser importance to the neglect of a common shared humanity? And the, the, the questions that authoritarians have for non-authoritarians can be just as awkward and challenging. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve or an avatar of yourself? An emphasis on grace and mercy, is it not possible for us to excuse a lack of diligence and faith? To what end is all this thinking and questioning? Might you not think yourself out of the faith? Could you not restudy us out of what is good, right, and holy? Does everything have to be so complicated? Do you sometimes miss the forest for the trees? Should we not have expectations and standards for conduct in the faith? At what point do you confuse personal preferences with biblical truths and mandates and end up questioning and challenging what ought to be held firm in the faith? If we do not share in a common faith with common customs, how can we maintain group identity as a body of Christ? At what point must the individual sublimate his or her preferences to the benefit of the whole? If we never call out air for what it is, will not some among us be more easily deceived? If we don't have any boundaries, have we lost our, haven't we lost our distinctiveness? Who gets to decide what's fair or not? And aren't you just as liable to become prejudiced against people like you in your quest to welcome people unlike you? Are you willing to see the limitations and challenges in the posture which comes naturally to you and how you can overemphasize thought, fairness, and becoming intolerant of intolerance, independence, and autonomy? Are you also willing to interrogate when you abandon the non-authoritarian posture and align with authoritarians, i.e., what, what kind of threats are sufficient for you to abandon your posture, for better or for worse? And how can you strive to avoid abandoning healthy principles in a rush of fear? And that can sometimes be very dangerous. It's when authoritarians and authoritarians find common ground that a lot of difficulties can arise. So one side is not intrinsically right or wrong. Each has its strengths, and each has its weaknesses, and each is just as necessary for functioning and thriving the body of Christ as the other. And so this is a, a short introduction to authoritarianism and non-authoritarianism. We've seen the distinctions between authoritarians and non-authoritarians, and hope we can understand better why each looks at the other with hostility and suspicion. And that how, among the Lord's people, even though there's been a more of an authoritarian bent in, in, in previous years, that we need both authoritarian and non-authoritarian postures, and that they need to work in balance to serve as a check on each other. An overly authoritarian church will be cold and harsh to outsiders, liable to legalism, overemphasizes obedience, the rightness of the in-group and the heirs of the out-groups. An overly non-authoritarian church might seem welcoming, but may not stand for much of anything, is going to overthink things, will revel in complexity without any coherent way forward, and manifest relativism. God is neither pure authoritarian nor non-authoritarian. Few humans prove purely authoritarian or non-authoritarian. Now, the people of God need to balance authoritarian and non-authoritarian tendencies. Both have strengths which benefit the whole. And both need to be reminded of the dangers of their emphasis. And therefore, may we all seek to glorify God in Christ in all things, whether we are more authoritarian or more non-authoritarian, less authoritarian, less non-authoritarian, that we may all obtain the resurrection of life. We're again so glad that you've joined us. This has been a lot. 
hope that this has been beneficial to you in some way. Uh, if so, I encourage you to please share it with family, friends, or others, or post it on social media. We'll see what happens, right? If you have other questions, comments, you'd like to discuss these things further, if you have a prayer request, if you'd like to learn more about us, we'd certainly love to have you come visit us at VeniceChurchChrist.org uh, or also on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.